Well, I invite you all to turn with me in the Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I would also encourage you to turn with me in your worship guide back to page 22. If you, uh, if you feel like you've uh, lost your, your, your calendar is off by like three or four months and you've wandered into an Easter service accidentally, uh, we actually are contemplating the risen Christ today. The resurrecting work that Jesus has done as part of this two ways to live, knowing and sharing our faith series. So uh, so you are not lost by a couple. You have not gone through a time warp. All right. It is still September, but we are focusing on the resurrection. And thank you, uh, folks leading in our music team that have helped us uh, helped us in that way, even with songs like you you just sung to us. So we are going to take a look at this idea of the the resurrection, the risen work of Christ. And you'll see on page 22 in your worship guide sort of where we have come. We've talked about the theme of creation, looked at a verse related to that sin. We've got these diagrams we're seeking to commit to memory. Thankful for all age groups in our church working through this, the kids in their Sunday school period and our youth as well in some of their meetings. We saw the bad news then that we are sinners, that none is right. We saw uh, indeed that God responds to that as well uh, in judgment, of course, that man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And then last week, after hearing that bad news for a couple of weeks, after receiving the, the diagnosis, which is never fun to hear how how bad our our medical condition is, how bad our spiritual condition is. But we we have to hear it if we're going to actually seek the cure that we need. We came last week to begin to think about what Jesus has done for us in his death and paying the penalty for our sins. And today we'll focus on the resurrection. First Peter one, three, in addition to our passage today, says in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we're going to meditate on that living hope today. And I thought one place that we could start off would be some some words. And I think they may be at the bottom of that page in your worship guide from Jonathan Edwards, one of these uh, Puritan folks, perhaps one of the greatest thinkers or certainly the greatest theologian in American history. Going back to the colonial times, the 1700s, lived through the the first great awakening. And he said this, uh, the verbiage is just a, a tad bit antiquated, but not too bad. You all can can hang with this and, and I think be blessed by his his statements about this picture, this beautiful picture of what happens for us in the resurrection. He said this as the sun by rising out of darkness and from under the earth raises the whole world, raises mankind out of their beds and by light, as it were, renews all things, fetches them up out of darkness. So Christ Rising from the grave and from a state of death, he as the first begotten, the firstborn from the dead, raises all his church with him. Christ, the first fruits and afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. And all as all the world is enlightened and brought out of darkness by the rising sun. So by Christ rising, we are begotten. We are born again to a living, a lively hope. And all our happiness and life and light and glory and the restitution of all things is from Christ rising from the dead and by 
his resurrection. That's what we're going to meditate on today. And let me read to us these verses from 1 Corinthians and then we'll pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're not going to read the whole chapter, uh, just a couple of verses starting in verse 1 and then jumping to the end. It says this, the Apostle Paul writing to the early church. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand. So it was proclaimed to them. They received it. They're holding on to it. And by which you were saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he goes on and he talks about what is that message? Kind of like what we're doing right now. There's two ways to live. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. That means priority number one. Uh, Take note, listen up, he's saying, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, accordance with the scripture. And then he appeared to Cephas. It's another name for Peter. And then to the twelve, talking about the apostles. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He means died there. And then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. Jump down with me to verse 20. He says this, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. There were those that doubted the resurrection. He said, Christ has been raised the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, he's talking about Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. And then these last few verses of the chapter, there's a whole, whole lot more in there, but we'll just uh, look at these last few verses for our purposes today, starting in verse 50, says this. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. Jump down to 54. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray together again. Heavenly Father, praise you. Thank you for allowing us to be able to have revealed to us through your church and through the witness of the scriptures. The reality of Jesus risen up, the second Adam, the one to take our place, the one to whom we can be attached by faith. And we ask today that whatever's going on in our lives, wherever we are spiritually, whatever we're struggling with, whatever joys we're taking in, all of this, Lord, that we would see in light of the resurrection of Christ and you would help us to lay hold of it more deeply, in a transforming way. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, I suspect uh, nearly every one of us who is under, say, the age of 25 remembers, or older than the age of 25, I'm sorry, remembers where we were that day, 15 years ago today. Horrific scenes. I was talking to somebody about it recently, and you perhaps remember if you heard about it in time to turn on the TV after the first plane. And most of us thought, oh, my goodness, there has been a horrific accident. And then when we saw one building burning, we thought, oh, this is very, very serious. And I dare say every one of us who was watching that footage live When we saw that other plane come slam into that second building, our stomachs sank. Our hearts were in our throats. Horrific scenes. Uh, Probably none of us would have anticipated that both of those buildings, even at that moment, would collapse. Or the issues at the Pentagon or the battle in a Flight 93 over a Pennsylvania field. Horrific scenes. Yet also heroic scenes, right? People running in while others were running out, going in to help people who were in need. In fact, if you've looked recently at the body count from the two towers, the twin towers, it it, it was largely a medical fire or police, various personnel who lost their lives. F-16 pilots having to decide whether to slam into a plane full of uh, innocent folks in order to stop whatever that fourth target was going to be. Heroic scenes as well. And for those who were too young maybe to remember it in person, to remember it in person, you've read about it, you've seen it. And it's a. A fitting place for us to meditate today, not just because it's 15 years from that time, uh, but also because it fits well with what we are talking about today in the gospel reality that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks of all that uh, we need to know for salvation and all that Jesus has done for us. 9-11 is a stark reminder of our mortality, isn't it? That we're not as safe as we would like to think we are. We would love to have safety in this world and be able to have confidence that we're going to be protected and we're going to be able to live this life that we want to live. And 9-11 reminded us that's not available for us in this life. Also a reminder, of course, of the conflicting ideologies, ideologies in the world. Christianity's got plenty of strikes against it, been abused by plenty of folks. But the core message of the gospel is one of hope, of love, of joy, of grace in Christ. And of course, we can't think about 9-11 without thinking about those false ways that we find hope. Those folks that flew the planes and sincere, though sincerely misguided, Hope for some kind of eternal life. Reminder today of how precious it is 
to have the true hope of eternal life in Christ. Many things come to our minds as we reflect back. It's interesting then to look at the words of Jesus for just a moment found in Luke chapter 13. And as I read this, uh, we we don't want to misunderstand Jesus as we read these verses. I don't think anything Jesus says here ignores the desire for justice uh, to be brought where it can be on anyone who does evil in this world. I don't think what Jesus says here in these verses in Luke uh, Luke 13 are meant to be callous or show that God is somehow uh, unconcerned about pain and suffering. Many other passages in Scripture tell us just how concerned he is. And, of course, there's uh, no sense here that we should throw out mourning or sorrow. But read with me and listen to what Jesus says. He says in verse uh, 1 of Luke chapter 13, There were some present at that very time, who told him, told Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He's talking about some folks that must have been going to church, going to do something presumably holy and righteous and good, and yet for whatever reason, Pilate came into that situation. We all know who Pilate is from the crucifixion of Jesus and mingled their blood with their sacrifices. They were killed by his uh, evil actions. Jesus says this, he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than any other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you turn, you will likewise perish. Or those 18, Jesus said, on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. That's just something that happened. We call those even acts of God, right? A building that fell He says, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. What's Jesus telling us there? He's telling us that certainly any tragedy is a a time of mourning. Certainly where evil has been brought about, there is a right pursuit of justice by the authorities in the world. But Jesus is telling us also that ultimately Anytime we see tragedy, it's an opportunity for us to turn, for us to see the beauty of what Christ has done for us to turn to him. The main idea then in these verses today, and you can find it at the bottom of page 23 in your worship guide, is that when Jesus rises, when Jesus rises, he not only proves his salvation, but he also restores humanity. So we should respond to his resurrection. You've probably thought about it before on on Easter. It's a fair question to ask. Do I believe in the resurrection? Do I believe that that's true? Do I believe that it took place, that Jesus did this thing? It is a miraculous thing. And therefore, although we have sound accounts for it in the scripture, we have the early testimony of believers in the church, the same people that the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 that, the, that uh, saw and recognized the resurrection, many of them are going to voluntarily go to their death for their belief in the resurrection. So we, we see all of these reasons to believe in it, but nevertheless, it does require faith, doesn't it? Most of us have not seen somebody resurrected up. So we have to believe in that. 
And so a question for us today out of the gate is whether we believe in that reality. If we do believe in it, uh, we may not entirely understand or just maybe beginning to understand its importance. Why is it significant? I say, okay, I know that's something I'm supposed to believe, but what does it have to do with me on a day-to-day basis? How does it correlate with my life? Even if we believe it, even if we're beginning to get why it's important, we may not be really compelled by it. The resurrection may not be for us, and I confess for myself, uh, rarely is, a central motivating factor and concept that I think about throughout my day. I like what the writers of our Two Ways to Live material said. They said the risen, the risen Jesus is now what humanity was always meant to be. God's ruler in the world. Remember we said that God was a creator, made the world, put us in this noble place, male and female, to uh, have a specific role in the world. And then part of the rebellion of Adam and Eve, and part of our ongoing uh, turning away from God, part of why that's so serious, is that God actually was entrusting something to us. He was putting us in charge in a special place. The two ways to live material says that through the resurrection we can make A fresh start with God. No longer as rebels, but as friends. In this new life, God himself comes to live within us by his spirit. We can experience the joy of a new relationship with God. Are we experiencing that today? Are we experiencing the spirit of God working in our lives? Are we experiencing the joy of a new relationship with God? With God, our material in this two ways to live in these verses today really point to the power of Jesus's resurrection to give us those things as we understand it more fully and embrace it more. So take a look with me again at these verses in first Corinthians chapter 15. The first part of of the passage is really just the Apostle Paul saying these things really happen. And these are the core essential elements that one needs to believe. Now, if you look at a book like Romans in the Bible, if you look at the Gospels, if you look at the whole scope of the Scriptures, you know there is much to study and learn throughout our lives in God's Word. But nevertheless, it's, it's a good thing we're doing these last couple of weeks, walking through a few elements of the Gospel, because that's what the Apostle Paul does. He says Christ died. He died for sins. It was a fulfillment of the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. These are core things that we believe. And so us learning some Bible verses about those and maybe trying to grow in our ability to explain those to other people. I think that's right on target uh, to what the Apostle Paul is tapping into here. And then he tells us that these things really did happen. They really did happen. In fact, he goes on a few verses later. and We don't have time to explore it today. But he says that uh, if we think, if we want to believe just in the idea of Jesus, which, frankly, uh, a good number of churches in our land, in our country, and certainly others in other places across the world, uh, have because they, they have a difficulty stomaching parts of this book that are challenging maybe to embrace, or because they don't really want to embrace those realities, including some of the miraculous things and including some of the truths that are confrontive to our culture. Folks have said, you know, I like this Jesus guy. I like this idea of Jesus. 
I like this idea of a savior and someone who would pay for my sins. But we don't really believe that it actually happened. That God actually became incarnate. What we read in our call to confession, the word became flesh and made his dwelling. That Jesus walked on planet Earth and actually went to a cross and paid pound for pound. We don't buy that. What's interesting, the Apostle Paul says right here in these verses, he says, if that's your take on it, if it's just the idea of Jesus that you like, but you don't believe in the real truthfulness of it in space and time, he says, be done with it. You're to be most pitied. You're spending your time on something that's not worth any time at all if we don't believe that it really took place. So that's one for us just to wrestle with today. Young people here, uh, elementary school kids, sixth, seventh, eighth graders, your, your parents have been talking to you about these things probably a good bit of your life, perhaps, about who Jesus is. And it's an important thing for you all to wrestle through. What do I believe about Jesus? What do I believe about his resurrection? The scriptures affirm that it really happened in space and in time. You know, if we believe that message, it changes a lot of things, doesn't it? So we may say, okay, so we say, yeah, I do believe it. I I believe that it really took place. But as I said before, that's not always working its way into our lives, right? Because if we really have confidence, you and I do, that we have this next life to come that's guaranteed us because of what Jesus has done. And that there is joy and bliss and satisfaction and all those things that we want in that next life. We'd have a changed approach to some things, wouldn't we? We would have a much less focus in this life on trying to do everything we can to secure our personal comfort or our personal pleasure. Right? We, we would have a looser hold on those kind of things, and they'd have a looser hold on us. We would uh, still be delighted for our children to grow and to mature and to um, pursue their goals and pursuits. But we would be much less prone to make idols out of those pursuits, right? And have that be our highest goal and good to where our lives are completely consumed with that. We'd be thankful for whatever God does in their lives, but we wouldn't be hanging all our hopes on it. We'd be uh, glad to be pers- you know, personally, physically fit, to be a little bit more healthy and to maybe have a little bit more longevity of life because of that. But we wouldn't make that such a goal in pursuit of our life that we spend countless hours each week on that and just a teeny little smidge on the things of the gospel and the church and our spiritual strengthening. We would... Uh, be able to thankfully receive and even pursue the material blessings that our world gives to us, but we wouldn't make those our highest hope, right? We would hold those with a loose hand for whatever God wants to do with them. Those are things that would change, and we could list off a whole list of things that would be radically transformed for you and me if we really not only believe the resurrection took place, but truly had our hope in heaven. Uh, the Philipp- book of Philippians in the Bible says, set your mind on things above, uh, not on things below. That would transform us, wouldn't it? It really would. We see in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians a couple other things, and then we'll get to the last few verses and, and wrap up. Uh, perhaps I'll just highlight this from these, uh, these verses 21 and 22, that this whole series where we're talking about what happened back in creation, What happened with 
uh, humanity and falling from sin and then Jesus remaking humanity, that's part of this resurrection thing, too. So what that means is that we're not just we don't have a lot of time to unpack it today, but we're not just hoping for pie in the sky to be floating on a cloud one day. Right. We're actually believing that because Jesus came into the world and he's worked in our hearts, that we're able to be transformed people. The old way, the old way of Adam and our sin and our rebellion and our turning against God, that that's being hopefully day by day. I'm sure for many, you know, if you're like me, it's a roller coaster ride. It's two step forward and one step back. But we're making some kind of progress on life transformation for the gospel. That's what it says there. We've got this new reality in Christ. And then lastly, look at verses uh, 50 to 58. We read them earlier. I'll just highlight uh, the ones that we referenced earlier in our service. uh, Verse 54 and verse 55. It's just a beautiful passage, isn't it? It's like the Apostle Paul is sort of uh, in battle with death. Sort of taunting death in this uh, exchange, so to speak. This verbal exchange. And saying, death is swallowed up in victory. And then speaking to death, right? It's kind of weird language when you think about it. Maybe we've read these verses you know, a number of times that it sort of glances off of our, our mind at, at first. I, I certainly read it that way at first. But then you read it a little bit more deeply and you realize the Apostle Paul is saying he, he's talking to death. OK, and and you, you guys, you know, we, we can all be assured of this. You know, some of us here are going to maybe hit 100 years. I don't know. Some of us will. Maybe some of us will scrape out 80. We'll be pretty excited about that. I don't know what the Lord's plans are for others of us, and certainly our congregation has already faced plenty of tragedy and loss, and even in a smaller church like this. Uh, But the reality is, is this life doesn't go on forever. And so it is a beautiful thing that the Apostle Paul can say, Death, where is your victory? You've got no hold on me. Death has no hold on you, folks, if your hope is in Christ. And that is a powerful, freeing thing to be released of that. And it actually frees us up to live more powerfully in this life. I I think about it this way, and I'll close with this. Um, You've probably had this experience. You purchase that item that you, you need. Maybe, uh, maybe ladies, it's a household item, some piece of decor that you thought would fit in this room and would look perfectly nice. And then you got it home and, oh, goodness, it, it, it looks horrible in that corner. There's no place in the house that it'll work. Uh, and maybe guys, sorry for the stereotypes here. Guys, you're buying that power tool and you, you get that piece of equipment. You think it's going to do X, Y, or Z for you. And you realize, oh, it's, it's not the right thing. Doesn't work. Well, that's the purchase, right? You purchased it. And you've had that experience that I have as well. When you decide you want to take it back and you can't find what? The receipt. And you, of course, look through your wallet or look through your uh, purse. You look under the seat in the car. You look in your dog's mouth. You look in your kid's mouths. You look wherever you can because you got to have what? you got to have the receipt to take it back. Okay? The purchase has been made, but the receipt, receipt shows That the purchase has been made. Folks, uh, one parting way for us to think about and maybe to explain to others the beauty and the majesty of the resurrection is that it's like that receipt. It is like that receipt. It shows that what Jesus said he would do, he actually did. And goodness, let's let's keep that one in our wallet. Right.
Let's keep it in our, our pocket, maybe our front pocket. Let's keep it in our purse. Let's keep it close because it's valuable. It is valuable. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for time to meditate on what's been done for us in Christ. We ask that the resurrection power of Jesus would be unleashed afresh in our lives today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.